Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 9 of the Pokemon Snapshot. Tyler, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, I'm uh, still kicking it, all things considered. Yeah, and we're excited to to record this podcast again for you. I've been getting lots of comments of people who enjoy the podcast. Actually, we got a, I got a Twitter message from Bob Chichinsky, and he wanted to say, Hey guys. I recently found your show and I definitely enjoy, and I'm definitely enjoying it. Just catching up on the most recent episode now. Your guys' sound quality is great for a newer cast and you can tell you guys are having a good time every episode. And yes, Bob, we are having a good time. I was just going to say I'm literally here against my will, but I mean, I suppose Jeff's having a good time anyway. I'm here to be the I'm here to be the uh, comedy golden eye candy. Sure, we'll go with that. Uh, Bob also went on to say he's actually been looking for a Pokemon podcast to listen to for a while, and he wasn't expecting to find one about every episode of the show, but he's glad he stumbled upon it. If you want to be like Bob and get your message read on Twitter, you can send us a tweet at Pokemon Snapshot, or you could send us an email at thepokemonsnapshot at gmail.com. And also, don't forget to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All right, Tyler, are we ready to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do this. I'm just going to forewarn you, Jeff and I had a little bit of a disagreement on this particular episode. I disliked it strongly. It's very dialogue-heavy, not a lot of action, and what action there is is very, like, short-lived and anticlimactic. But Jeff apparently likes it because it's, and I'm doing quote fingers, intellectual. What Tyler isn't telling you is that I said he said he didn't like it for that reason, and I said it's because it was an intellectual podcast because of all the words and none of the action scenes. But I actually like this episode because I feel the characters are more interesting than last week's episode. I mean, that's true to an extent. It's really hard to uh, to beat last week's episode in terms of being terrible. So I guess I I guess I can concede on that point. Yeah, so let's get into the episode. So this is episode 9, and it is called The School of Hard Knocks. And in Japanese, it was called Pokemon Victory Manual. Victory Manual? Yes, Pokemon Victory Manual. Okay. Manual. That's how Jeff says manual. Manual. All right, I'm going to stay focused. Manual. Manual. It's a manual, Jeff. Manual. Um... This episode aired in Japan on May 27th, 1997, and it aired in the United States on September 18th, 1998. We begin our episode with the party walking down a road in what appears to be a forest. Ash and Misty are arguing, and Misty is saying that she isn't going anywhere until she gets a new bike. Ash mocks her whining and says that all she ever talks about is getting her bike, which, in fairness, she has been pretty clear that that is literally the only reason that she's tagging along with him. Just get her a new bike, Ash. Like, please get her a bike. End this insufferable episodic bickering already. Like, go to a pawn shop, ask, wire your mom for some money, do something. Just get her her bike and send her on her way, because it's just getting irritating. As this is going on, Brock chimes in with his usual motherly Martha Stewart type role and tells them that they need to stop bickering because it is slowing them down and they could have already been to Viridian City by now. Yeah, and then in the Japanese original, Misty hits Brock in the head with a log when he says that, but this was cut due to the violence. Really? Because 
Like, I can't imagine why they would cut an actual action scene from this otherwise lame episode of talking and dialogue. We then see Brock setting up a literal table for lunch, saying that they need a break. This table includes a tablecloth, a nice purple centerpiece, uh, and basically a whole bunch of stuff to allow them to have a very nice meal. And I'm not sure where he was actually storing all of this stuff in the bag that he was carrying. My thought was maybe he had one of those carpet bags like Mary Poppins, you know, where she just pulls everything out of the bag, including a lamp. If Brock becomes more Mary Poppins-ish, I'm going to be very happy. Like, that's what we're missing from this show. We're missing a Mary Poppins-type figure. Yeah, he just needs to fly away on an umbrella. Don't we all wish we could fly away on an umbrella, Jeff? Wow, this got deep. This got deep. Um, We're going to move on. Also, Brock mentions that he has coffee, but Missy and Ash are too young for coffee. Brock, you are only two years older than them at 12 years old. I do not think those two years signify that you are so much wiser than them and are able to consume coffee. You know, though, I, I will I will make this comment, because when you're 10, 12-year-olds seem like they've got everything going on in their life. Like, I remember walking around the middle school, like, looking at the 8th graders when I was in 6th grade and going, oh, man, those guys are, like, basically adults. They can almost drive with a learner's permit, you know, and, and you kind of see them as top dog. Yeah, I kind of get that, especially, you know, kids, you think about now where, you know, by the time I'm 32, 34, not much is going to change. But you look at kids, there's a big difference between, you know, 8 to 10, 10 to 12. That's very true. Very, very true. Well, after uh, this whole exchange occurs, Brock offers some prune juice and Ash doesn't want it. So Misty asks for some herbal tea. Ash still seems reluctant, but Brock thinks it's a good idea and breaks out his official Pokemon tea set. He literally calls it that as he pulls out the tea set. He's like, this is my official Pokemon tea set. He also pulls out some water and then French crepes. Misty gets excited, saying that she loves French things because they are so romantic. And I just want to pause there to, to point something out. I absolutely despise, from the bottom of my soul, crepes. And the reason being, when I was in college, I worked in the dining center. For you you and I graduates out there, it was the Rialto, the superior dining center to the one that Jeff worked at. And uh, For I, those of you who don't know, when he said you and I, Tyler and I both went to the University of Northern Iowa. Right, and we, had, and we worked at rival dining centers that served the same food. But it was a rivalry. What can you do? So anyway... Crepe night was always the worst night. Huge lines, people whining. They were really hard to make because you'd like flip them over and they'd tear apart because they're really thin. I mean, in reality, a crepe is just an ultra thin pancake and there's nothing fun about that. See, I'm on the opposite side of a spectrum. Kind of like this episode because I really always liked crepes. But then again, I never had to make them myself. Um, Because the crepes, they just remind me when I was in Japan while for a summer in college. And buying crepes was the cheapest, cheapest and easiest way to get fresh fruit because fruit was so expensive. While I was in Japan, I actually saw a $60 watermelon. Yikes. I would not spend that much on a watermelon. No, and it was about the size of a cantaloupe. It wasn't even a big watermelon. But I just want to throw out that there is never a time that a crepe will beat a loaded pancake. Why would you throw fruit and all that into a crepe when you could just slather it on top of a pancake? Pancakes are better. They're fluffier. They're more filling. I hate crepes. I, d- 
I do like pancakes more than crepes. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the savory crepe. Okay, I'm not even sure what that is because I hate crepes. So a savory crepe is instead of using fruit and like whipped cream, you're putting things like uh, meats and cheeses in them. Okay, I guess. Still kind of weird, but I'll give it to you. Anyway, wow, we got off on a tangent there. I apologize to our listeners. I also saw my volume shoot up there just now, so uh, hopefully that wasn't too ear-piercing. I just get really worked up about this subject. Anyway, we go back to the scene. So they've set the table. They're, they're preparing their food. Ash begins eating and is apparently chewing too loudly because Misty begins yelling at him for crunching. Brock chimes in and says he needs a fire and Ash needs to get on making it. Like, he literally scolds Ash like he's a child, like, I need a fire, kind of a thing. Actually, what happens during this scene is Brock says he needs someone to get firewood and Misty says, good thing she's already volunteered to keep Brock company and Ash goes, all right, I guess I'll go. Ash then wanders into the woods looking for firewood. And I just want to throw out there that I'm not entirely sure whose bright idea it was to trust Ash with the fire in this situation, but I suppose that's what they did. Uh, I don't know if they're trusting him with the fire. I think they're just getting him to get firewood. But can I just take a moment to comment on how Ash is searching for the firewood by walking around going, Here, firewood! Here, firewood! Uh, he isn't even looking down at the ground as he's doing this. This reminded me a lot of when I was a camp counselor in college and we had to send the kids searching for a firewood and they would come, they would be gone for about 10 minutes and then come back carrying like a few twigs and say they can't find anything. Then you would be like, there are trees all around us. There's firewood out there. Yeah, I mean, you, gotta, you, you can't find firewood in the woods. I'm not sure what to tell you. I'm pretty sure Ash couldn't. That's probably true, but we'll never know, because as he is walking around, he comes upon some school kids who, who appear to be doing some sort of odd training. One of them is running on a treadmill in the fog as the others hold candles and have him recite Pokemon trivia answers. Yes, this really is as weird as it sounds. I put that this looked like some sort of hazing ritual. Right, it definitely does. Like, I understand if kids are just out there studying, but it's just like you have him on a treadmill. That is just weird also this is one of the only times that leveling up and levels are talked about in the anime uh this also also one of the pokemon they brought up was pidgeot and i was thinking how for the longest time i would pronounce pidgeot as pidget because as the anime says they pronounce a pidgeot but as in the handbook i had in the 90s it actually had the pronunciation as pidget and so i Spent my whole life pronouncing it wrong, and I looked up before we started recording at my daughter's more recent handbook from the last, like, few years, and they actually changed the pronunciation to Pidgeot. Well, that's great. I don't know who has a handbook and is sitting there going, how do I pronounce this name? But I could definitely see you doing that, Jeff. Definitely. I'll loan it to you sometime. <laughs> I actually might need that. The kid then falls <laughs> off the treadmill after failing to answer a question, and the others tell him that he doesn't belong with them. Ash then runs in and tells them to quit picking on the kid. If he, he says if the kids at the Pokemon school act like that, then their standards must be really low. Misty then rolls on up and says that she agrees with Ash. Ash being himself tells Misty to butt out as he doesn't need her help, and Misty agrees and tells Ash he is right and that he surely won't need her help fighting all five of those schoolboys. Fortunately, the boys say that they don't fight because this isn't the Stone Age. I really think Ash could use 
a good getting beat up once, but I guess this is not the time. Like, it would do him some good. Like, if these five had just been like, all right, you've run your mouth a little bit, we're just gonna, like, you know, push you down or something, maybe that'd knock him down, like, the four or five hundred pegs that he needs to be knocked down. Well, after they say this, um, they say that beating up Ash would be embarrassing to Pokemon Tech, and they walk away giggling to themselves. Once they are gone, Brock, standing in the distance, is whisking some food in a bowl, says that they must be from Pokemon Tech, and Misty explains it is short for Pokemon Technical Institute, a school for Pokemon trainers. Misty breaks out a pamphlet that she must have received in the mail, and Brock begins reading it. It explains that this is a school for Pokemon trainers aimed at letting them get good trainers, letting them become good trainers without going on a long and difficult journey to gather badges. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Basically, this school serves to serve as a replacement for sending your children out onto wild adventures by themselves in order to earn badges. The school exists to, like, earn badges in an academic setting, which I respect. Also, I think it's funny how nobody in this group seems to have heard of it before, but it seems like it's the premier place to do this. Yeah, and that kind of made me think of how maybe Palatown is like the Alabama of the Pokemon universe. They are cut off from the rest of the world and a few years behind in the trends. Absolutely, absolutely. As he is reading through this little pamphlet, we kind of like, you know, whisk away and see what Pikachu's up to. And he's playing on the treadmill from before, you know, the treadmill the kid was running on. And he actually gets injured. He pushes the button and it starts... It starts rolling real fast, he can't keep up, and he gets thrown off of it. And that is right there is why I avoid treadmills. And really all exercise equipment in my daily life. It's it's dangerous, it isn't safe, you can get injured with it. So I just try to steer clear of exercise equipment and exercise in general. Especially swimming, right Tyler? What I consider swimming, yes, I do avoid it. It's not actually swimming, it's more flailing in the water, but you know it works. I saved Tyler's life once when we were both trying to learn to swim. Now, just talking a big game, but I do want to specify that he was only lifeguard certified for three and a half feet water, which leads me to believe he probably isn't the strongest swimmer either. Uh, it was up to five feet of water. Five feet of water. <laughs> I oh. mean, pretty much the whole class was just me staring at going, hey, just stand up. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I, I don't think you have any room to talk on the swimming on the swimming spectrum there, Jeff. Uh, also during this scene, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but I noticed it, that Pikachu's voice sounded a little different while he was on the treadmill. No, I didn't. I was too busy thinking, oh no, Pikachu, don't get hurt on the treadmill. Those are evil. Yeah, so typically Pikachu's voice is the original Japanese recording because they didn't have to change anything because, you know, um, Pikachu is Pikachu in Japanese. So, in this episode... During just this one scene, Rachel Lillis is providing the voice of Pikachu because in the Japanese version, Pikachu's voice was covered up by Brock's Japanese voice actor. And so they needed someone to, and so they couldn't, you know, get all the sound volume up enough. Um, Rachel Lillis is also the voice of Jesse and Misty, so they were just using her to voice someone else during this show. Okay, that makes sense. It's kind of interesting. So anyway, after Pikachu gets injured on this treadmill, we flash back to the group looking at this brochure, and Ash is talking about how he thinks it's lame that they can become Pokemon trainers without badges, and I actually tend to agree with him on this. Like, you can't say you're a Pokemon trainer from academic studies. 
But anyway, that's the one time I agree with Ash. Misty then remarks that the school is probably just for rich kids due to its high tuition. Yeah, I kind of put the same thing. How does paying to get into a Pokemon League seem fair? Also, if they're not actually training Pokemon, I assume they use rentals, like because you're using the school's Pokemon. They won't even have a team to compete in the league when they're done. Yeah, that's very interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. I don't think they actually explain how they get their Pokemon. Though they do, they are surrounded by forests, so maybe they like let them go into the forest and catch stuff with like, you know, supervision or something. Just then, maybe after this Just then, after this conversation, the fog clears and the party realizes that they are standing in the central courtyard of the school. The fog was hiding it. An intercom explains what training they will be doing next. It's something involving snow. And the kid from the treadmill before then gets sad and says that they will make him into a snowman tomorrow during the snow training. Ash asks him if he is always treated that way, and he says that his friends are just trying to make him better, and that he has to stick it out because his parents worked hard to save money to send them to the school. He then points out an unhinged-looking individual sitting under a tree and tells them that the upper classes are so hard it takes years for some students to pass, and it's too shameful to go home without graduating. Apparently, this guy, this literally an adult man, sitting under the tree is a beginner. He explains that beginners have the equivalent of two badges, and each level up counts for more. When they graduate, they can then go to the Pokemon League without battling for badges. He also says nobody, including the teachers, will help the adult under the tree. A good thing Ash chose to travel for his badges, otherwise he would probably be the guy under the tree. <laughs> that is a valid point. Like, he definitely would be. He would be that guy under the tree, because he just never has any idea what's going on. I mean, he'll show it later in the episode in a Pokemon battle. That's very true, very true. Ash doesn't like this whole thing. He's he's uncomfortable with this situation. I'm not sure what his deal is, but he's like really worked up about this. And so he says that he wants to see the student in charge of all this. The kid then presents a picture and it is a pretty girl that is apparently running the show. Both Brock and Ash, you know, oogle and ogle at the picture and Brock begins to say something about how she can violate his rights before he is cut off. I worry about Brock sometimes. Uh, worry about him even more, because in the original Japanese version, Brock says, I'll look forward to her in eight years. Oh, no. Yeah. And also the whole violating rights uh, line, they actually cut that out in the re-aired episode on Kids WB. <laughs> really? Yeah. Obviously, I can see why. Yeah, Cartoon Network put it back in and then obviously on netflix it was still there and on pokemon.com it's still there but when they aired it on kids wb they took that line out that totally makes sense because i don't know what he was expecting her to violate but it probably wouldn't have been appropriate for children's television if he had gotten to finish his sentence the kid then explains that he doesn't like her he just carries a picture of her because he likes the way she looks Ash then says that it's better than girls who treat you bad and look bad at the same time while staring at Misty as he says this. Misty gets bad and begins stomping off looking for the girl in charge. Misty does not like to be called ugly by Ash. 
We then flash to the top of the hill where Team Rocket is watching the school with binoculars. And I just want to throw out that, like, Team Rocket's sitting on top of the hill with binoculars watching a school of, uh, you know, children walking around. And this just seems like a really good way to end up on a list. But whatever. <laughs> it's not the worst thing Team Rocket has done. They explained that they actually attempted to study at this school and failed to pass the entrance exam. They got the lowest scores in the history of the school. So apparently Team Rocket is really sour that they were too dumb to get into this school. Yeah, but I like that it actually gives some background on Team Rocket. We get to know these characters a little more. And, you know, as the episodes progress, we will learn even more about the trio. I would say they are probably some of the mo more fleshed out characters in this series. Right. So, yeah, and then after the Team Rocket scene, it actually cuts to our Who's That Pokemon segment. Who's That Pokemon? All right, and the Who's That Pokemon for this week, I actually think it's very fitting for the time we are in because we are uh, recording this a couple days after Halloween, and our Who's That Pokemon for this week is Cubone. Oh, no, not him. Yeah, uh, Tyler, I just want to say get your tissues ready. Okay, they're ready. I got them. Yeah, this was a depressing Pokemon to research, for sure. All right, well, let's uh, get on with it. So Cubone's Japanese name is Karakara. He is number 104, and he's a ground type. He is 1 foot 4 inches tall and 14.3 pounds. And his category is the lonely Pokemon. Like, even Ouch. his category sets off how sad he is. Ouch. Like, yikes. Yeah. Uh, and then he evolves into Marowak at level 28. Or if you're in Alola, he'll evolve into an Alolan Marowak at level 28 at night. So... Cubone's name may be a combination of cub or cute and bone. Nothing exciting there. Uh, his Japanese name, Karakara, may be taken to mean clattering. It is worth noting that Karakara denotes lighter clattering than Garagara. Not sure. So he's a light clattering is what his name means. Which makes it, it makes me think of like clattering of bones, which he wears on his head. Uh, and what is Cubone based off of it? He is, Cubone is a reptilian in nature and seems to be loosely based on bipedal dinosaurs. It also could be based on primitive cultures that wore bones for decoration and used them for weapons. The use of its bone as a boomerang and as a weapon at the same time seems to be a reference to the boomerang's original use for hunting in indigenous Australian cultures. Alright, Cubone's biology. Cubone is a small bipedal dinosaur-like Pokemon with a light brown hide that covers most of his, its body, except for its cream-colored belly. Two small claws, one on each hand, serve as its thumbs, and one large nail on each foot makes up the toes. It has two small spikes on its back and a short tail. And a short tail. On its head, Cubone wears the skull of its dead mother as a helmet. Because of this, most of its actual face has never been seen except for its triangular black eyes and a small area surrounding them. The skull has two rounded horns on the top of its head and a tooth-like point on the lower sides. Under the skull, Cubone has a brown snout. The small Cubone survives only through the immense skill it possesses in welding the bone it carries as a weapon. 
The bone allows it to learn Bone Club and Bone Moraine, two moves exclusive to Cubone in its evolution Marowak. It and its evolution are also the only Pokemon capable of using the Thick Club item. Alright, and now the Pokedex entries. This is where it gets really sad. So the red and blue Pokedex entry says, Because it never removes its skull helmet, no one has ever seen this Pokemon's real face. We're not getting too bad yet. Uh, Pokemon Yellow says, Where's the skull of its deceased mother? Its cries echo inside the skull and come out as a sad melody. Oh, no. Yeah, so you may, instead of coyotes at night, you can probably hear Cubones in the Pokemon world. Just crying out for their dead mothers as they wear their skulls over their heads? Yeah. Yikes. Uh, Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire says, Cubone pines for its mothers it will never see again. Seeing a likeness of its mother in the full moon, it cries. The stains on its skull the Pokemon wears are made by the tears it sheds. Oh, no. Oh, it it gets better. Oh, no. Uh, Pokemon Sun Pokedex entry says, When it thinks of its deceased mother, it weeps loudly. Mandibuzz that hear its cries will attack it from the air. What? Yeah. Like, what kind of a... uh... I'm going to listen to the cries of, of this uh, Pokemon crying for its dead mother, and then I'm going to go hunt it and eat it. Yeah, I mean, it's a Pokemon Eat Pokemon world. We have Predator Pokemon, but yeah, Mandibuzz fly around, waiting, listening for a Cubone's cry, and then just attacks it, and the Cubone is crying over its dead mother. Oh, my lord. Uh, and then Pokemon Moon says, The skull it wears on its head is that of its dead mother. According to some, it will evolve when it comes to terms with the pain of her death. I mean, that's slightly more positive. At least shows some growth other than them crying for their dead mothers until they're swooped up and eaten. Yeah. So, and then just some little bit of trivia about Cubone. In the Pokemon Red and Blue beta, Cubone was originally known as Orphan, a corruption of the word orphan based on its abandonment at birth. Now, I do wonder, since this is a Pokemon type, why do all of their mothers die? Is it like something where they just like auto-die when they're born in order to, you know, cast them into, into you know, a lifelong bout of depression? Because that's apparently what this Pokemon does. Yeah, that's an interesting point because in Generation 2, you know, they brought about breeding of Pokemon. And you can breed Cubones and Marowaks and they don't die if they produce an egg. Very true. But then the Cubone is also born already wearing the skull of its dead mother, so it's very interesting. But I thought this ep- this Pokemon was very timely for a- around the time we're in right now. Being yeah. the Halloween's, just getting done with the Halloween season. And so, everyone, that was Pokemon. I'm sorry to bring this down a little, but... He was our Who's That Pokemon for the week, and so let's get back to the episode. Who's That Pokemon? I just want to say thanks, Cubone, for ruining the entire, like, vibe of this of this episode. Like, just just brought the whole room down a notch. We're, we're going we're gonna to try and get it back up there, though. So, after the Who's That Pokemon ends, we flash to inside a room full of computers. As a reminder from before the Who's That Pokemon, Ash 
and his group are actually going to go hunt down the lead student who is, you know, mentally abusing students that don't perform well. Ash is looking for the top student, and he wants to beat her. Ash brags that he has two badges. The boy then basically chimes in and says that the girl is the top beginner, so technically she has three badges. He also says even though he is the bottom of his class, he is still a little better than somebody who has two badges. Misty gets defensive, saying that her badge at the Cerulean City Gym and that they couldn't beat her. The kid looks it up on a computer and shows how he always beats the gym leader in that simulator. And at this point, Misty challenges this random sad kid to a battle. At this time, we see Team Rocket watching through the window as Misty sends out Starmie. The kid sends out Weepin' Bell. Weepin' Bell? Yep, Weepin' Bell. Got that. Right, awesome. Misty has Starmie use Water Gun and it knocks Weepin' Bell out. The battle is over. The kid is surprised he lost since Weepin' Bell is strong to water types. And then I put, is it though? Because I honestly couldn't remember. Yes, because it's a grass Pokemon and grass beats water. I also like how this simulation is very meta since it is kind of, it is an anime about the game. So the simulation was very close to what you would see in the video games. I know. I thought that was awesome too. Like basically they're playing the Pokemon game in the Pokemon universe in order to get actual badges. Yep. Just then, the head student walks in and says that the kid underestimated his opponent because Misty's opponent had, or because Misty's Pokemon has more experience. She tells the kid that he should have known that and that he is an embarrassment to the whole school. Ash and Brock, of course, fawn over her and Misty doesn't like it. So basically, they're like watching her, you know, emotionally abuse this kid because he lost this battle. And they're like, oh my gosh, isn't she dreamy? The, in- the girl then introduces herself, saying how beautiful and talented and humble she is. She says that her name is Giselle. I thought how she introduces herself was very interesting. I was actually very mean girlish. Right. Yeah, definitely. She, she was like mean girl before the movie Mean Girls. Um, I just put in here her whole quote on how she introduced herself. She just goes on and says, I'm the top student in the beginning class of the most exclusive prep school in the world. Pokemon Tech, it's sad that others aren't blessed with my beauty, my talent, my humble attitude. People call me a star, but I'm just Gazelle, or Giselle, however you pronounce her name. Yeah, she's uh, definitely got some Mean Girl vibes going on, and I and I firmly believe that Mean Girls was based off of this character, because it's pretty much spot on. We see Team Rocket outside discussing how conceited she is, and I actually agree with them. This is probably the only time so far that I've agreed with something Team Rocket has said. But basically, they're, they're talking about, you know, how stuck up this, this girl is. Giselle then begins to chew out the kid and walk away from him. Misty jumps in and tells her that beauty is only skin deep. Ash wants to step in, but Brock tells him that wise trainers don't get involved in catfights. And there's some more of that good old-fashioned 90s sexism. But it is good advice, I will say. I did not endorse the comment that Jeff just said. I want to throw that out there. Don't cancel me, Twitterverse. Cancel Jeff. Misty and Giselle then begin a Pokemon battle. Giselle sends out Graveler, a Rock-type, to battle Misty's Starmie. Giselle explains that her Pokemon is at such an advanced level that it can beat water Pokemon. She literally has overleveled her Pokemon so it can beat Pokemon of types that it is normally weak to. That is literally my old strategy. 
Graveler then slams into Starmie but misses. Starmie uses Water Gun and it hits, but it doesn't seem to do much, and Graveler then knocks Starmie so hard that Starmie flies out of the room and into a swimming pool. G Giselle then explains that level is, an, is just as important as Pokemon type. Ash jumps in and tells, her, and tells that there is more to Pokemon training than the levels. She asks Ash... She asks... Ash, gosh, gosh, it's hard to say. She asks Ash how long he has been a trainer, and he says two months. Giselle is shocked and says that Ash is failing for still letting his Pikachu wander free since it isn't tame yet. Ash gets defensive and says that Pikachu is his friend. He then lifts off all of his other Pokemon, and Giselle mocks him, saying that he should have more by this point. Giselle's lecturing goes on and on and on about how Pikachu should be level 25 and how he evolves into Raichu and etc, etc, etc. I'm actually going to spare you talking about everything she said. It was just like this long rambling segment. I was like furiously typing what she said and I'm like, you know what? We're just going to summarize this as she was rambling on about Pikachu facts. Think Jeff during the Who's That Pokemon segment. It was that. Ash tells her enough as she's going on and on and on about this and suggests that they should be that they should battle. Uh, I do like during all this when she is rattling on and on and she does rattle on and I almost put the quote, but then I'm like, man, that's a lot. And I already put a long quote from her. But to mm -hmm. the, she keeps cutting herself off and she goes, what? And you only have two badges? Right. Right. After he's saying all that stuff. But to be fair, I don't understand how Ash can be on this journey for two months and only have three Pokemon. That is very true. He's an awful trainer, though, which is fairly well established in the anime at this point. Uh, I did think the scene was interesting, and I put down here that she was definitely mansplaining to Ash. Oh, yeah, most definitely. But, you know, what can you do? The battle, then between Giselle and Ash, begins. Giselle sends out Cubone, and Ash sends in Pikachu. Pikachu tries to shock Cubone, but it fails. Why would he try to do that again? He's already been explained to him that electric moves do not work on ground-type Pokemon. Well, you see, Ash doesn't learn lessons, I think we've discovered. Like, very little character growth up until this point, and that's the reason why. Cubone then leers, and it works on Pikachu to disorient him. Pikachu stares down Cubone, and they both get distracted. Cubone, however, hits Pikachu with a club by throwing it like a boomerang. This knocks down Pikachu. Ash says that that was a cheap trick, and Cubone hits Pikachu again. Again, I feel like Ash is coming up with an excuse on why he is losing. Uh, Cubone throwing his club is cheap, but Ash won one of his badges by setting off the sprinkler system. Yeah, Ash uh, is definitely not the type of person to realize their own you know shortcomings you know even if they even even if he literally was doing the exact same type of thing as the person he was accusing of cheating or or using a cheap trick and also it's well established that that's like a cubone move like yeah it literally says that cubone throws the bone like a boomerang if he would have pulled out his little pokedex he might have known that so which is surprising it was surprising that he didn't throw pull out his Pokedex. He hasn't done it in the last two episodes, surprisingly. Like, he just decided he doesn't need to learn anymore. They've been rapid-firing, like, facts this entire episode. I'm willing to bet you a million bucks they, they cut that out in order to save room for more rambling dialogue, in all honesty. 
So at this point, Cubone tries again, but Pikachu dodges and begins biting and scratching Cubone. Just then, Cubone's bone comes flying back and it actually hits him. He begins to cry. So Cubone throws the boomerang, Pikachu dodges it, jumps in, starts biting and scratching him, and then the bone flies back and hits Cubone. Cubone is crying, and now that I know Cubone's backstory a little better, I feel bad for the little guy. The battle is over, and the kid calls it a once-in-a-lifetime battle since Pikachu won without using electricity. As Giselle begins whining that she lost, Team Rocket shows up and does their little intro poem. Meowth jumps into a pool and says he likes a splashy entrance. <sighs> that was like a physically painful joke. Like, I recoiled when he did it. I'm like, why? Just why? Giselle then says that she knows about these two and says that they scored the worst ever scores on the entrance exam at the school. She challenges Team Rocket to fight them all. Team Rocket gets nervous and the whole school begins to throw their Pokeballs at them. Like, literally, they are throwing their Pokeballs like projectile objects and hitting Team Rocket. This must have hurt real bad because Team Rocket runs away. That was it? Like, that was the whole showdown. We see Team Rocket creeping around the whole time with their binoculars and all that. We're expecting this big showdown. And then they, you know, throw some Pokeballs at him and they're like, I'm out of here. Yeah, I feel like sometimes what the writers do is they have a whole plot set out for the episode and then they're like, oh, we need to put Team Rocket somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I don't know why they didn't send anyone out to battle. I was confused on that. Uh, I guess the whole school is just full of mean people. They're just going to throw the Pokeballs at at Team Rocket. Yeah, yeah the school does not seem like a place I would want to hang out. In fact, I can't wait for this episode to be over, so I never have to hear about it again. We then flash to a mystical sunset. So, so it's over. That was the big finale of the episode. Was them throwing their Pokeballs at Team Rocket? We flash to a mystical sunset, and the kid, who finally gives his name as Joe, says that he is leaving to go home and train. All of this to that sweet 90s soap opera music. Again, I'm glad it's back. I think they need to throw some more of that sweet 90s soap opera music into every episode. He asks Giselle if he can keep her picture, and she says yes, because she keeps pictures of all of her friends as well. He asks if she has a picture of him, and she says yes, because they are friends now. And I just want to throw out a couple of points about this. First of all, Joe, my man, you've been friend-zoned hard. Like, holy cow. Moment of silence for Joe, who is now deep in the friend zone. Also, the other point that I want to bring up is, at what point did this relationship dynamic change? Like, she has literally been nothing but awful to him this entire episode. Like, there's been no resolution. They never had a point where they, like, you know, had some, like, special moment together, you know, in order to repair their damaged relationship. Like, none of this happens. Just out of nowhere, they're like, all right, we're friends now. And they shake hands. So I just thought that was weird. Yeah, if you follow the story of the episode, though, Joe was already carrying her picture. It was like, it was kind of an abusive relationship where he really liked her and she just kind of used him. That's true. This is the last few episodes have been chock full of abusive relationships. Like, what the heck are you doing here, Pokemon? Like, even if a girl is pretty, you don't like her if she emotionally abuses you every day. Okay, to all to all the kids out there that are watching this anime for the first time, trust me on this. 
Do not stick around with girls that emotionally abuse you. Or guys, if you know, whichever whichever you want. Don't stick with people that emotionally abuse you. They're not good friends. They're terrible. That's why I'm ditching Jeff after this episode. We then flash to Ash and Misty. And Ash asks why they can't be like that. Misty says it's because Ash owes her a bike. Note, if you owe Misty something, she won't be your friends with you. Though, their relationship will start to change eventually. Which is kind of good, because I feel like that's very one-sided right now, one-dimensional relationship. Uh, yes, that is absolutely true. We then flash to a forest as the party walks away, and to be continued, flashes across the screen. And that is it for today's episode. Yeah, and we each had our own opposite views of this episode. I really, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. Again, it was another filler episode. There was no um, story development. They needed something to do. But Tyler has other views on it. So Tyler, please tell us what you thought of this episode. It was garbage. No, but like, seriously, I had to take like three breaks watching this episode because my rule in the podcast is I do the outlines and things like that. And trying to keep up with the dialogue and everything that they were saying and all the rambling sequences and things like that, it just became too much. I literally, this is, it's like a 23 minute long episode and I had to pause like three, three, maybe even four times to take a mental break as I was attempting to put all of this down into a script. I just did not like it. It was a terrible episode. Now let's look at last week's episode. Do you think it was worse than last week's i think last week's episode has a special place in my heart because of the terrible horrible message that it had so i would agree that that one was probably a little worse content wise but as far as like episodic pacing and and things that happened and, and all that i would definitely say last week's episode was superior in that respect this one was just like a bunch of a bunch of talking and then like three or four really really short battles all leading up to a super anticlimactic ending where they literally pelt Team Rocket with Pokeballs in order to make them run away. Okay, fair. I'll take that. Um, But at least, you know, going on the next, like, four or five episodes are all going to be uh, story-based. They're not going to be filler episodes. And they're actually, the next three episodes are three very important episodes because Ash is going to get get some new members on his team that we will learn to love for the next a few hundred episodes or so. I'm so excited. I hope Charvander's one of them. Uh, yeah, so... Please, you can... And remember, you can tweet us at Pokemon Snapshot or email us at thepokemonsnapshot at gmail.com. But yeah, join us next week when we're going to be watching episode 10, Bulbasaur in the Hidden Village. I am very excited to find out what's hidden in that building.